0: almost a week ago, I published a blog post called The True Purpose of Schools. And then a couple nights ago, I get a notification that the county that I live in overnight decided to lock down parts of society again. And what I would like to do is read most of that blog post and then comment on it and then relate it to the political response to the virus. The article is inspired by the work that David Deutsch and Sarah Fitzclaridge have done on taking children seriously, which, from what I understand, is about coercion-free parenting. So let's jump in. The true purpose of schools. The other day, it clicked for me. I think I understand better now what schools are really for. Consider a child who is interested in, say, astronomy. Most elementary schools do not offer astronomy classes. And even if they did, it is highly unlikely that any given child would happen to be interested in all of the things that are shoved down his throat year after year at just the right time. A child's interests don't evolve in sync with the school's schedule. If the child is lucky, he will be genuinely interested in a few of the topics any given year, but never even close to all of them. So the child wants to learn about astronomy, but doesn't get to. Instead, he is forced to learn other things he isn't interested in. Day in, day out for some 12 years. As Popper said, he has to learn answers to questions he didn't ask. A child is then faced with two options. To go insane or to learn to cope with the situation. So, what can one possibly do in such a situation to stay sane? I see only one solution. One must learn to put one's own interests on the back burner and prioritize other people's interests. In this case, the teacher's. And societies at large, one must learn to coerce oneself to neglect one's preferences. I think that is what school is really for. Not just to standardize children, but to break them too, to place others' interests over their own. I recently asked a 14-year-old close to me if she'd like to go to college. She said no, but that she probably will anyway because she thinks she should. It's heartbreaking. It is only after 12 years of mind-numbing boredom and neglecting one's preferences that people voluntarily spend the next 30, 40, sometimes 50 years at jobs they hate. Forever delaying their dreams is what they're good at. It is in school that they learn how to live with problems and endure them instead of solving them. It is there that they are taught that their interests have no chance of leading to anything fruitful, and so they shut them down quickly. Parents are often complicit in this. For example, they take away things that their children enjoy, such as their computers, game boys, and so forth, or at least put time limits on them, so that their kids spend less time doing what they want and more of what they allegedly need, which is determined by anyone but the child. I'm thankful that David Deutsch puts emphasis on fun and interests. They're hugely underrated. If school's main purpose is to teach children how to neglect their own interests and instead pursue other people's interests, that also explains where altruism comes from. The evil doctrine Ayn Rand so eloquently refuted in which she says, quote, regards man, in effect, as a sacrificial animal, end quote, quoting Auguste Comte, who coined the term, quote, to mean specifically the placing of the interests of others above your own, end quote. The true purpose of school's is to turn children, born individualists, into altruists to systematically neglect their own interests in favor of others' interests. It is to force children to betray their intellectual integrity. They must, quote, sacrifice their minds to what others believe or want to be true, end quote. Ayn Rand, uh, just a side note, Ayn Rand said this, although I put in the their minds, because she didn't state this in the context of schooling and children in particular, but society at large back to the text. This true purpose explains why people live for others and then expect others to do so as well. It's what they were forced to do during the most formative years of their lives, after all. It explains why so many expect their peers to sacrifice their happiness for the health of others by agreeing to house arrests. Why those who don't want their salaries to be cut in half by taxes are considered evil. Why so many can't begin to imagine a world without coercion. If I had to do it, why should anyone else get a free pass? I'm guessing that most teachers do not understand this true purpose of schools. They become teachers because they want to help children, that is, give children what they allegedly need. It is only altruists who can become teachers and perpetuate the cycle. In other words, the memeplex of schools depends on breaking children so successfully that some of them decide to continue the tradition. Not only do teachers not know why they're contributing to this altruism machine, it relies on teachers not understanding its true nature to keep itself alive. Okay, so that's the blog post. Now I do want to mention that I haven't seen the connection between altruism and schools made so explicitly, although I imagine that, although of course I don't want to put words in their mouths, but I imagine that David Deutsch and Sarah Fitzgerald, for example, understand this. Now, altruism, of course, explains a lot of stuff that goes wrong in our society. I should, as a disclaimer, say that when I quoted Ayn Rand, uh, first of all, she is uh, vilified and disliked widely, and if you're having that knee-jerk reaction right now, I invite you to suspend that and just... Listen to the content of what she's saying, not who says it. Um, Altruism, she explains this in the interview that I quoted her from in my blog post. Altruism does not mean that you help others when you can and want to. Altruism means, as I said, uh, or as she said, I quoted her, that you put your own interests below the interests of others. You, 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 it means, another word she uses is that others have a mortgage on your life. They can demand that you do something for them, that you sacrifice your entire life or part of your life or your income or something to them. That is what altruism is about. And so I think school explains why so people, so many people are altruistic, why there are so many, altruistic memes, ideas that have spread in our society. And I think it is also what explains why there has been such an overwhelming acquiescence to the lockdowns and other draconian political measures um, in response to the virus. What I would like to see is people outraged and irate at what politicians are doing right now. They are not acting like fallible people who may be mistaken and they are they're counting on altruistic memes to to force people to place other people's interests over their own and then to expect the same in return as well. Uh, of course, this is an inconsistent philosophy because you can't expect both, others to do for you what you want and expect yourself to do what others want. But that's a that's a weakness of altruism. That's not a weakness of the criticism of altruism. So altruism is why people acquiesce, I think. Um, to, to me, it is a problem why people are acquiescing. I think any freedom loving mind, any mind with a shred of self-respect should feel at the very least discomfort and better yet, anger and, uh, you know, disappointment at being told what to do and how to manage one's own health. But I don't really see that reaction that much. I saw that there were protests in Europe today, which is which I think is good. Um, I can't speak to all the political motivations there, uh, although I think they're unfairly mischaracterized from what I've seen, at least in part Um, But I think more people should be be totally up in arms. I, I don't understand the acquiescence. In any case, so I think altruism explains that. And I think altruism also explains why there is a tacit assumption among politicians right now that you can force people, that it is morally okay to force people To do something, for example, stay at home or put on a mask or whatever it may be, um, in order to save other people. In effect, they have a tacit assumption that it is okay to sacrifice one person's lifestyle and income, because many businesses are closing, many people are being let go and so forth. That it is okay to force one person's lifestyle and income and so forth, uh, sorry, to sacrifice one person's lifestyle and income and so forth for the health and so-called benefit of another but it isn't people's it isn't people's job or responsibility to look out for the health of others it would be one thing to claim that people aren't supposed to purposely infect others that's one thing but it's quite another to simply tacitly assume and nobody's made the moral argument for why that should be true yet i don't think it's, it's a totally another thing to simply tacitly assume that it is people's job to look out for each other's health. Altruism, I think, and I think if I remember correctly, Ayn Rand points this out, nobody has yet explained why it should be okay to sacrifice one person for another. And I don't I don't know if the argument can be made. This is a huge problem right now. This tacit assumption that altruism is true— is ruining people's lives, has been for a long time, of course. But I see that it is, so this is nothing new, but I see that it is particularly urgent and acute because of the political response to the lockdown. It has ruined political philosophy. And we see here that political philosophy is hugely important and that a bad political philosophy will ruin people's lives. And it is... Very much acute and concrete today. And it is because of altruism that there is huge social pressure to simply go along and to acquiesce because one is is expected to perpetuate the meme of altruism or the memeplex of altruism. But I think we shouldn't go along with that. I think we can do better. I think we can do different. Anyone who is afraid of catching the virus is free to stay home. It is not other people's responsibility to make sure that that person won't catch the virus. That is that person's responsibility. It is other people's job not to purposely infect that person. But that's a whole other story. So, I don't think um, movie theaters or restaurants and so forth should be closed. The people who go to these places know that there is a pandemic going on. They're not idiots, they know there's a pandemic going on. They know that they carry a risk of being that that they enter a risk of being infected. They understand this, and they still choose to go. Now you might think that that's idiotic, and so and you wouldn't go to that restaurant. But that's that's okay. That's you're free not to go if you're afraid that you might get infected. But those fr- people should be free to go. Um. Now, let's imagine there was some disease that was largely unknown. It's very rare and it's hard for people to get it. But let's say once um, somebody gets it, if you spend, you know, an hour in close proximity to them, then chances are high that you're going to get it too. Okay. Um, Now, if you don't know this and somebody agrees to meet up with you and spend more than an hour with you without telling you that they have this disease, then I, I see both a moral and a legal problem with that. I wouldn't hold it against somebody if they sued somebody else for doing that to them, right? If they catch the disease. But everybody knows that this pandemic is going on and still people would like to go to the gym. They would like to go to the movie theaters. They'd like to go to restaurants because they're willing to take the risk. They're all consenting to taking the risk together. And everyone else who wants to isolate is welcome to do so. Nobody is forcing people to go outside, Right so that this is this is this moral inversion. Um, nobody's forcing people to go outside. Everyone should be free to do what they themselves find reasonable to and to manage their own health. It is not the government's job to manage other people's health, much less to sacrifice one person's life for the health of another. Of course this is a great opportunity for governments to Uh, take advantage of this altruistic acquiescence and social pressure to expand their influence and their power. And once, uh, I forget who said this or if if it's become sort of a uh, just of a saying right now by now, but uh, once freedoms are lost, it's very hard to get to get them back. And this is what's happening right now. There are several people I know of who are working on understanding the effects of lockdowns and why they don't actually work to address the problem that, they, that they're that they designed to solve. And I think that is very important work. And when lockdown measures are found to be ineffective, that should convince those who are in favor of lockdowns that they're wrong. But in addition to that, I, I'm not seeing enough focus on the moral dimension of this. There are huge violations of our liberties being done right now. And my opinion is that even if it were a given, if we knew for a fact, now of course we can never be certain, but let's say we had very good explanations that lockdowns actually work, that they reduce transmission of the disease, that they make people healthy, yada, yada, yada. That doesn't change the fact that altruism is wrong and that it's an evil moral theory. So, before any politician even talks about forcing people to sacrifice their lives for the health of others, they have to make a moral argument, and that moral argument cannot simply be that it will save people's lives, because even if that is true, that does not explain why it is one person's job to sacrifice his life for another person's health. It is not everyone's job to rescue others. This argument has not been made by any politician, and I don't think it has ever been made or will be made. The tacit philosophical assumptions that underlie the political response are morally reprehensible, and they're false. They have been refuted. The only rational response that any politician would have to this argument is to immediately cease any course of lockdown measures and to restore people's freedom. Now, one of the problems in the first place is that politicians even have such enormous powers to make decisions on behalf of other people. But I think what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with two destructive replicators. One is the virus, and the other is this soup of altruistic and totalitarian memes that are thriving and spreading because, so the argument goes, The virus requires and justifies draconian measures. I think the second replicator is much more dangerous, and it is the one we must fight at least as hard as the virus. I don't want people to get sick. I hope they will continue working on a vaccine, and I hope they will cure this thing. But even more so, I hope that we step up our fight against totalitarian ideas, because even a healthy society means nothing when it isn't free.